Okay. Are we good? Yeah. <laughs> what? It's, a, it's called a cone beanie. So it's like a it's it's Japanese, but it's a it's a loan word, I guess, like convenience store, and then you just cram it down to cone beanie. So that's what they call it, right? The, a convenience store is called a cone beanie. Yeah, cone beanie. Okay, because I was thinking like a beanie that you wear on your oh, head that's shaped like a cone. Yeah, a cone. No, yeah. no, no, no. So there's there's three of them here. I'm saying this because I'm hungry. In Kofu. Uh, everywhere in Japan is what I understand. Uh, like There's three, only three cone beanies no, no, no. in all of Japan. <laughs> like three major chains. Um, oh. That are open. I think all of them are open 24-7. I don't know that. I could be totally wrong. The ones near me right now are. Um, and it's it's now 3 a.m. I'm hungry. Um, so after this, I'll probably go and they'll judge me because I go there too often. But so there is uh, 7-Eleven, right? Uh, Blossoms and Family Mart. And if I had to They're all... The, are those translated names or are those all English? Uh, so they don't... They're, they're like, Family Mart. <laughs> That's generous. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, no... I, I guess they're written in katakana, probably. So it's like uh, English if I Japanese. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I think in order, though, it's probably 7-Eleven's number one. They each have strengths, but if I'm just saying overall 7-Eleven, uh, and then I don't know. I actually don't know the difference. I can't like, I just know 7-Eleven is better. And then Lawson's and Family Mart is just kind of, I don't know. They're the same. But um I don't know what it is about 7-Eleven. They just have the the better general selection of food. So, and I'm looking forward to eating it after this. At oh, you, you were looking forward to eat it in out, like half an hour ago, and I was like, you want to do another one? <laughs> yeah. So, it's fine. I'll just go after this and I'll... But I'm going to... It's This is the downside of being me. <laughs> this reminds me of when you were like, the best thing about being me. So, this is a, a downside oh. of being me. Is I don't... I don't like any, I don't like big cities. I just like big enough cities. And the problem with that is then the places that I go to inevitably start to recognize me. And I don't like that. So it's just because you're white. No, no, but I mean, even in Iowa City. Oh, okay. I go to Panda Express too often. And then they, I just told the girl once, I just said, Hey, can you just pretend like that you don't, you don't know me? me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know. I know I come here too much. So if you could just, you know, pretend like I don't and that you don't recognize me, that'd be really cool. I think it's more embarrassing if you have to like say, hey, pre- please pretend like you don't know me. I don't know. It's all embarrassing. So. <laughs> because <laughs> just pretend like she knows you're outside of Panda Express and it's not so bad. Maybe I'll try that next. Try to like have some sort of friendship or something. Like get to... Uh, some some sort of relation that isn't Panda Express related, so she's not like orange sugar again, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. Well, on to the episode. Keeping our cold open short. Um, <laughs> so um, we've we've talked quite a bit about niches and kind of the importance of the. There were, we have had two primary niche episodes. One is talking about the importance of establishing a niche, and the other one was talking about um, how to pick a niche. Um, but there's something that's kind of lacking in this uh, series of episodes around niches because people, a lot of people are still asking questions on them and pivoting 
niches way too often, at least in my opinion. And there's a particular uh, girl that I follow on Facebook who is uh, starting her own agency. And she is, um, you know, jumping between one niche and another niche and another niche. And they're all kind of sub niches within the home service industry. And all of those niches I know are fantastic or great. As long as you double down on it, um, you're not going to see after just to clarify, is she going after any local? Is she just looking no. online for anybody that'll? It's on. Well, here's a, here's the thing. Where I think like um, probably thirty percent of our listeners aren't in the U.S. They're um, well, thirty percent of our listeners aren't in um, native English speaking countries. Oh, okay. And cool. So thanks for listening. I, yes, thank you. Um, I think so. You have to consider too, like when you're not and when you're in a country that's like in the Philippines or in India or in kind of the Middle East your target market like a, your good target market is not where you live it's where like in the US or in like other english speaking kind of more business forward countries mm-hmm. um and so targeting local usually isn't the best option the best option is to try to establish niche in another country and that can be difficult if you're not a native english speaker and one of the things that really sell is getting on a phone, getting on the phone with somebody. Um, cause you, you're kind of at like a disadvantage already. Um, because mm-hmm. especially if you're in America and you've got to talk to a bunch of, you know, is, I don't know how to say it, xenophobic business owners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, but like, I mean, 30% of our audience, it's still a large audience. 70% of our audience don't have to deal with this. Um, but, um, I, I think it, you can get past that barrier of just not being in that uh, uh, that country by being an expert in the niche um, and showing that. So we really wanted to take the time today to talk about what it means to be be an expert in a specific niche, which means you can't niche hop. You have to you have to find one and you have to double down on it. And asking other people on the internet whether a niche is good or not is not a good way to determine whether a niche is good. Um, when we covered this in episode 40 about how to pick your niche, those are good ways to determine whether a niche is good. You also shouldn't be looking at if other people are having success in them or not, because that can indirectly deter you from from that niche if you feel like it's oversaturated. So there's a, for example, there's a lot of people in the roofing niche, a lot of marketing agencies who, who pick that niche. There's also a lot of marketing agencies who fail in that niche because they don't double down and they see the success other people are having in it, or they only see the internet success, which means just a false presentation of, of what's actually happening. Um, well, it's, if you're starting an agency and you're looking at the difference between, because that's, we've talked about that there's two different kind of categories you have the this is an established market that i want to come into and take a chunk of market share away right you have proof of concept there and you know that it's happening and that it's it's self-sufficient it's it there's enough money in there for you to come in but then you also have the just not served yet right and that's a zero to one situation where you you don't know if it's going to be viable or not, but if you're doing an agency, all you have to lose is time. And I, if if you're at zero, that's not the worst thing that you can lose right now. <laughs> so uh, think about it, but don't dwell on it. Just keep moving um, hmm. because zero to one is also a it's a cool thing. Um, if you if you're looking at something like a niche or a market that you're just not sure if it's 
sustainable yet, go find out, right? You can do that. And then if it doesn't work, you lost some time, but that's, yeah, that's not the absolute worst thing that could happen to you. The easiest thing to do is pick a niche that you enjoy. So like if you, if you enjoy something about that specific niche that you like, it's easier to become an expert in that. Um, and that's kind of why I picked landscaping because I really do feel like, um, I actually enjoy the landscaping niche. Um, so um, I'll kind of go over a couple of things. I, I, when I started Evergrow, I established, I, my main philosophy was establishing kind of that industry expert persona in the niche. So I didn't want to just come in and say, I'll do your SEO and Google ads and then like pretend like I know anything about landscaping and lawn care. Um, so the first thing I did was to, to become this expert is I just joined all of the groups and forums that I could find online. And, um, once I did that, I got to see the other conversations that everybody else was having. It was, you know, on, hey, how do I price a lawn that is this? How do I price this? Um, you know, how often do I change my mower blades or sharpen them? And um, just reading a lot of that and ingesting it and not constantly just looking for leads and opportunities to sell, but like also also paying attention to what else is being asked. What are the other problems people are having that aren't marketing related? Um, a really good example of this is when people talk about the labor problems that they have, uh, oh. it's not technically marketing related, but it kind of is because if they're having labor problems and your job is to ride them leads that they can't execute, then labor is kind of your problem too. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, So like being able to kind of, you know, as they say, speak the lingo and understand that, you know, there's a difference between lawn care and lawn maintenance, not from a consumer standpoint, from a business owner standpoint, Lawn care typically means um, like fertilization and weed control and things like that, where uh, lawn maintenance is like mowing and hedge trimming and and things like that. So from, but from a consumer standpoint, the consumer doesn't differentiate it. Uh-huh. So um, knowing some of those um, really helps. But I'll tell you one thing that that really got me started um, was talk, listening to the, uh, hearing the books that they're reading uh-huh. and this is this is part of the reason why I started to read some of Gary Vee's stuff and also start uh, started to read some of Grant Cardone's stuff, like Grant Cardone's 10X, is because a lot of the landscapers and lawn care guys, I, for lawn care, people who only do lawn care, we call them LCOs, um, lawn care operators. And so mm-hmm. that's an industry term too that you won't know unless you're like in the industry. But uh, uh, they were a lot of these guys at the time were reading like 10X and... Um, Gary V's Crush It. Mm-hmm. And then some other, uh, there was another book called, um, I've got it. It's called uh, the, the E-Myth Landscaping Contractor. Uh, um, that's been redone for like every. Yeah, the e Yeah, the E-Myth was just the actual book. I think it was like by Michael C. Gerber or something like that. He was or, down the first one to say, you guys need processes and systems. And then everybody's redone yeah. it and called it. Yep. What is the traction and i don't know what the other ones are now but yeah I, but yeah so he did a, he did a landscaper version of it so he talked to you know had to co-wrote it with someone who was in the landscaping industry and did you know a relevant chapter and, and it's written like one chapter is written by him and then the next chapter is the landscape like the landscaper translating into the landscaping industry um and so i read um those three books uh 10x crush it and then the emeth and that right there was able to get me to understand some of the mindsets that these guys were in, but also communicate that to them on like phone calls and sales calls. Um, 
some of these same concepts that they wanted to talk about. And there were a couple of conversations at the beginning where like, all we did was talk about those books and um, it was kind of cool. At the same time, like I could really recommend those. Another one that changed not only my perception of business and, and how Everbro is now operated from a financial standpoint, but also how a lot of these landscapers are also reading this book too. Um, and it's allowed me to provide a lot of valuable insight to um, business owners uh, in, the, in that niche, as well as other niches. But it's the Profit First book by Mike Michalowicz. Profit First, Profit First, the concept of it, like it didn't blow my mind, but it made so much sense. And just like creating walls between your money and then paying profit first before expenses. Um, I brought that to Cody. I made Cody read it. And I think you read half of it. And you're like, is this just a blog post that's 120 pages well, yeah i read the first chapter and then i saw the rest of the chapters and said oh okay so this was a blog post that he turned into a <laughs> book because he wanted to make money which is fine but i got it from the first chapter so uh i just said so this is what yeah. you want to do jake and you said yeah and i said okay let's do it <laughs> makes sense but yeah but it, i mean it, the, the the principles and practices in it are are really good and i, I think like any almost any landscaper in the industry is is doing some form of the profit first system now and that could be the case with other niches as well so i, I highly recommend that that book and um you know to that effect cody and i were thinking about doing an episode later about like what books would be good to read as an agency owner um so if you find that interesting let us know uh we'll uh, we'll tell you the books that we read before this agency specifically but um mm-hmm. cody i've been talking for a while do you, do you want to interject uh you were done a lot of more notes that I didn't write as many notes down for this because I, I'm not the industry expert really. And people don't really see me that way. What I do tell people though, cause I do get asked and it's not, I like this industry. I like the landscaping and lawn care guys. They're cool guys. Uh, but I do get just because I do smaller fringe things that are just comparatively weird. Like when I tell people I'm in Japan right now, they say, okay, why? <laughs> We've had a couple of clients that were like, that's cool. That's a great vacation. I'm like, well, it's not quite a vacation. <laughs> I'm not, I'm working more than I did in the States. Um, but yeah, so I just tell people, I remind them and I say, look, I became a specialist in home services. Local lead generation online is what I can do. And it's what I know. It doesn't matter if it's dentists or, you know, any of those categories I can do because they're pretty, pretty much the same. They have small nuances and differences, but as far as just the implementation for online marketing, it's all very similar. So I tell them my business partner picked it. I went along and, and it's been cool, right? We met cool people there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's a lot of drama in the landscape <laughs> and I love following it. And it's something that Lauren and I do before we go to bed. We're just like, what did this person post? <laughs> and I just go to the, like their YouTube channel and just watch their videos. It's great. I did write down, uh, the, I don't know what the quote is. Did you see Gladiator? Have you seen Gladiator? Russell Crowe? Uh, I was just going to say Russell Crowe. I haven't seen it though, but okay. I do know he's in it. There's a part of it or one of the politicians says, look, I'm, I'm not one of the people, but I rep- basically, I'm not one of the people, but I represent them. And it's the same thing I think about. It's always cringy when you see politicians putting on their farm shirts it's in Iowa, right? They, they like put on mm-hmm. their farm shirts. They roll their sleeves up. Yeah, they walk around, they say, corn, pigs, stuff, vote for me, I do farm stuff. Uh, And, okay, yeah, it it clearly works and it appeals to people, but you don't, 
you don't have to be completely in it. In fact, if you if you go too far, it's a little bit strange because they still want you to be the expert in the thing that you're the expert in. It'd be very weird if uh, an accountant was operated in the exact same way that we did, right? It, it would just be a little bit strange. And I would wonder, but you're an accountant, right? Like you're the accountant thing. So I, I do expect there to be some sort of minor differences. And I think the clients in your industry would too. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to know and have built a retaining wall to do. Um, that was a pun. It was? That was a landscaping pun. So I didn't even know. Did I miss it? Did I say that? You should do <laughs> you it? said landscapers build retaining walls. That's a service they offer. And then you said you don't have to build a retaining wall. But that was a pun for us. It, oh, sorry. I feel like I, I feel like there was a joke opportunity there, and I just totally botched it by interjecting. So I'm just going to let you continue. Uh uh, no, I feel bad. I'm sorry. Like I wanted you to have the joke. <laughs> That's okay. Hopefully this makes sense. You don't have to, you have to know it very well and you have to learn it. And there is, there is the advantage to doing that. That is unavoidable, but you don't have to become a hundred percent exactly like your clients. Um, right. Because you think about other cases like that, like, um, like if, if there was a accounts, the best one I can think of. Right. It just, it comes across as cheesy and cringe. <laughs> if what, if you, if you like blend your personality in with, yeah, it, you just look like a politician, right? Just be yourself. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Right? You, you're doing something slightly different and the way that you work is also different and you want to be an expert when it comes to the topics. But you know, if you go too far and you do yeah. the politician thing, it just, People aren't dumb. It also like, I mean, your target customer is going to change over time. When you first start, you're probably dealing with like the crass business owner who like, you know, will cuss and swear on the phone and just like, you know, is kind of, you know, borderline racist. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, as you grow, you start dealing with bigger and bigger clients who are a lot more professional and they don't mirror that image at all. And like, we've experienced this too. Um, and like, especially now, like all the prospects and clients that come to us are very much more of a corporate level. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, thank God we didn't like, I, you know, change our identity or, you know, have an identity based on our initial clients. However, it was still good to know the industry terminology and be able to speak to them on an intelligent level while still having our own personality. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, and like knowing, and especially being like an, an industry expert, there's one thing that, really sets us apart from other agencies out there and that's just knowing the equipment and the services they offer mm-hmm. because when we build a website i can't tell you how many times i've had uh clients or prospects come to us that want a website build and they're like yeah i hired this agency over you know here and they like my i just hate my website they've used pictures of like push lawn mowers or like just stuff that homeowners would use and not like commercial contractors because they didn't understand the industry and just by you being able to say something like yeah we're not going to use a scott's turf spreader on your fertilization page like we'll look for the commercial lesco spreaders like mm-hmm. just by you saying that and still so much confidence in them as a potential client um and i think that's just like what a lot of people lack but but to that aspect too i think the number one thing is also knowing how much uh, a client is worth to a you know someone in your niche like for us i can tell you right now that the industry average close rate is 50 percent 
So for every two leads that you provide, they will close one of them. That's just on average. Um, the industry average profit margin is 10%. That's net profit. After all expenses, taxes, and everything, everything comes down between 10 and 20%. Um, the average uh, lifetime or the average yearly revenue from just a standard mowing and maintenance account is between one and $2,000. So um, about 1500 we can say. Uh, the average lifetime of a maintenance account is five years. So, uh, and, and these are numbers that I'm just like making up that like I've had reported to me, Lawn and Landscape Magazine publishes these, which is an industry publication. So knowing one, the publications, so you can get some of this information. Uh, if you don't have this information, you can totally ask all of your, your clients and prospects, nothing wrong with that. Um, but I can't tell you how many times that I've done this exercise with our clients on trying to figure out what their target cost per acquisition is based on their own numbers, based on their own close rate, their own profit margins, and being able to say, like, here's what the industry standard is. Is there anywhere near that? And usually it's yes. Um, so they already know that I know the industry standards. I'm, I'm able to calculate using this formula how much they should be willing to pay for a lead that we provide and still make a profit. Um, and if you don't know that, it it doesn't it's going to be hard for you to even price your own services because you're just, you're, you don't know the industry. If we pay, if our services are $500 management fees for this landscaping industry, it might be totally different for serving doctors. Our management fee for doctors and like clinics might be like $2,000 because we don't know. Maybe there's HIPAA compliance. Maybe they make way more money per lead. Maybe their cost per click is, you know, extremely higher and we have to compensate for that. Yeah, I think that's uh, critical. I think the knowing the finances and the numbers and the money, um, both at the bottom and at the top. In the middle, you find people who are just good schmoozers, and that's great. <laughs> like, cool, that's a skill. Um, and if you if you're good at that and you could lean on that, that's awesome. But so, for example, someone, you know, somebody who is overseas and then trying to prove their their value, their worth, and that sort of thing, especially mm -hmm. in marketing, if you show that you have an understanding of the financials, because marketers. Are terrible with money there's a reason that you know cmos stay cmos not not coos or ceos and it's yeah they who said it someone said that if you like cmos are a worthless position like they should be fired i can't remember. i think it was like um god i i can't it was someone big it was like a Rand fishkin or if it was like uh like a john mueller or something like that where he's like they're like cmos are is a worthless job title yeah. Maybe it was Grant Cardone. I can't remember. It was some big. Uh but it's I, I get it, right? And I think if you especially if you're a so if you're listening to this, you're not just a marketer. You're also a business owner. And you need to understand finances like a business owner, and that means your clients and how their finances work too. Otherwise, how can you go and prove to them that what you're doing is worth their money if you don't know it? So that's the first thing you have to do is find that out. And that's, I think another recommendation I would give too is if you are uh, overseas and trying to build relationships in um, foreign country, then you're not, you're, you're probably not going to have a ton of luck just fishing around trying to grab anything that you can get and assuming that you're going to build from that. I think the first thing that you should try to do is just build connections. And it, saying it that way doesn't even help because I think it gives the wrong idea. You just got to make friends. You got to talk to these people and actually become their friend. Episode 11. <laughs> it's chase relationships. Yeah, it's, there's no other way it's going to work, right? I think, so for example, me even being in Japan right now and how that happened, 
uh, was very complicated and not easy. I reached out through the Sister City program. It took several months of planning. And now that I'm here, everything's great. And I've been able to start building relationships and that sort of thing too. So there's always that benefit of being in person. But so you can't do that, right? It still starts with, okay, let's have an initial point of contact. And then how can I build up on this friendship and keep progressing it? So let's say you start in a Facebook group or something like that. Maybe you get their personal contact information and then you're able to start messaging them via just messenger. Um, after that, maybe you can finally set up some sort of video call and not to pitch, just to get to know them, just to find out who they are, what their life is like. And, and that's critically important that you don't jump the gun too fast because you're greedy for money is because it's just not going to work. Your first few clients and that sort of thing, if, if this is, and then again, you, you should be thinking that this isn't a one year goal, right? This is a five to 10 year goal. This sort of thing you're not going to be able to accomplish to the level that you want to do within just one year, especially if you are starting from zero and you have to build these sort of relationships too. I tell people too often because they say, wow, you know, when you partner with Jake, you guys took off really fast. I'm like, yeah, Jake did like two years of groundwork that I just got to sign up afterwards. It was great. It was amazing. A year and a half. Huh? <laughs> a year, a year and a half. Um, you can't say he was doing nothing. He was doing a ton. Like there's, there's incredible and immense value in that part of the business that does not yet equate to exact dollars, but you have to do it and it takes time and there isn't money in it. And it's, you can't really gamify it. You just have to be honest that you actually gen- genuinely want to do that and get to know those people and become involved in their lives. That's weird because it's business, but that's how small business is. Mm-hmm. And how Japan is. Yes, very much so. As I, I'm aware, I, I think you signed up at tipping point. I did this for a year and a half um, of just uh, not only just building the brand, but just becoming an industry expert. And when I say building the brand, I don't mean like building the brand by getting clients, because if you know my history, I was not getting clients in that year and a half. Um, and just over time, like Cody joined, and like boom, clients started signing up. And partial, part, you know, part of it was I had a lot more confidence during sales calls because I had I had someone who had my back and someone who was really intelligent with uh, with ads and someone who could deliver immediate ROI. Um, but at the same time, like I have, um, I pulled these off my wall real quick. Um, but I have three framed three framed magazines that I wrote in. Um, so we have Lawn and Landscape magazine. This was published in. Uh, it was published in July of 2019. So Cody and I, uh, we signed the paperwork to be partners in January of 2019. Um, I have uh, Turf Magazine. This was, oh, by the way, that Lawn and Landscape one, I, I sent that in in like December. So like it took them like seven months to publish it. Oh. Um, so this Turf Magazine is spring of 2019. And so for all oh, those of you who are watching this in the future on YouTube, um, you're going to see these. Um, for those of you who are listening to this in the past, um, watch this episode again <laughs> in the future <laughs> so we can get another view on our YouTube channel. Uh, but this is Turf Magazine. This was published in spring of 2019. Again, I sent this to them in December of 2018. Um, this was Green Industry Pros Magazine. This was, um, this just says spring of 2019. Um, and again, sent this to them in December of 2018. Um, Lawn and Landscape, this was just, a, I was just a contributor to in like an article called Digital Dominance. It wasn't even an article I wrote. It was just they wanted my opinion on something and they put me in it. Um, 
for Turf Magazine, I wrote an article. I'm actually on, not on the front page of this one, but Turf Magazine, I wrote an article called, um, I said this to them in December. They published this in uh, early spring, I think, or like very early spring or late winter. And it said how to market your lawn care business in the winter. And then Green Industry Pros, um, oh no, actually the one in Turf Magazine wasn't that one. I, I sent them two articles. They published one in December about how to how to market your landscaping business in the in the winter. And this one they published in an actual print magazine that was um, how to find quality lawn care clients. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was the um, the fly by night guys are not stealing your business. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember that. That was a that was one that popped off. I actually read the comment from that on air, like on this podcast in one of our episodes. Um, that when somebody read it, finally, Green Industry Pros. I'm on the front cover of this one, right here, Beyond the Blade: How to Find Quality Lawn Care Customers, page fifty four. Um, and Maybe it was that one that had the that had the positive, the glowing review of, but these were all things that I was doing bef- that I was trying to get in before Cody came on board. Those got published after Cody came on board, and he rode the wave. It was great. <laughs> uh, recommend no, but, but but seriously, like that's what I was doing to kind of establish that industry expertise. I was doubling down on that. I was I was pitching those articles, and it wasn't just like reaching out to them and like paying to be in them. I didn't. I never paid to be in any of them. I did my research and I found the people to promote, to pitch this article to, and I pitched it to them. Um, and, and I use, if you, if you look at the fly by night guys aren't selling your, your article or your, your article, aren't selling your customers. You look at that article, the opening paragraph is of that, like literally pretends like I'm a landscaper talking to a client. And it's because I've been in these groups and I have, I know how these clients and these customers of theirs communicate to them. And, it was just, you know, those were like the tipping points. And then being on industry podcasts, um, mm-hmm. it's just, that's, big. that's what we, that's what we mean by being an industry expert is, is don't just peruse the groups and look for clients, like, like provide value. And, um, this is why, like knowing that labor is an issue, knowing that, um, you know, maintenance costs are an issue, knowing that gas prices are rising. So landscapers are paying way more, uh, for, for, um, gas on the, and their equipment and on the vehicles. Um, and being able to write about that stuff, but also incorporating your marketing aspect in those articles, um, that really sets you apart. Oh, as you read this, I, I think I, I said the opposite. Cause I said, you don't need to know how to build a retaining wall, but I think you're saying that you should know how to build a retaining wall. Is that, am I right? Me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not wrong at all. No, you don't need to know how to build a retaining wall, but you need to know, like, you need to know how to build it. But if you know what a retaining wall is and what the purpose is, then like, right. it's helpful. I don't know how to build a retaining wall, but I do know like some aspects of it. Like you can't just, you can't build it on the ground. You actually have to lay like a foundation for it. Um, but these are things that you can learn too. Like there's plenty of, there's, I tell, I'll tell clients this all the time. Like this is kind of a sidebar, but like we, on our website, we tell people how to do their own marketing, like how to optimize your own website, how to run your own Google ads. And, um, when I tell clients that they should write articles on how to build their own retaining wall, um, like for the DIYers, they always say like, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to tell people how to build a retaining wall. I want them to pay me to build it for them. And I said, Hey, if, if you're, if people are looking to build their own retaining wall, they're going to build it themselves no matter what, and whether they get the information from you or not, it's, it's out there. Anybody can learn just like anybody can learn SEO. Anybody can learn Google ads as long as they want to put the time into it. Dude, I love that. So it's like my favorite too, because I'll search for something 
like, ah, I'm going to do this myself. And then I start reading the article and I get like a fourth of the way done. And then I say, nah, I'm going to pay somebody. I'm definitely not doing this. <laughs> this is way harder than I thought. Yeah. I, that's kind of how I do it too. But yeah, anybody, anybody can learn how to do it. And the, and the whole reason why we write a lot of what we write is because we're confident that the DIYers are going to try to DIY it themselves anyways. But people will usually get about a quarter of the way through it and go, and so then scroll to the bottom and go, nah, screw that. <laughs> We're just going to hire this out. <laughs> and so um, I could, yeah, I could learn how to build a retaining wall if I wanted to and speak the language better, but I don't think that's going to help our sales anymore if I know it from the ground up. Um, yeah. You know, it might help SEO. Like I might be able to write about it a lot more, but if I'm trying to get out of the business, I would need Eva to know how to build a retaining wall. And I'm not going to put that... <laughs> I'm not going to force her to learn how to build a retaining wall just so she can write about it. Mm-hmm. So, yep. I mean, there's a delineation between you know, knowing, you know, diving too deep into it and diving into, you know, what it takes to just, you know, be coined as an industry expert. But there is, do you think, I think you do still need to be fanatical. Like you need to be obsessed to some degree. Yeah. To accomplish most things. Like anything that you mm-hmm. want to, if you, if you want exceptional results, you need to do exceptional work. Like you do not get to just casually pursue something if you are serious about wanting to be exceptional in it. And this goes into what you said in the last episode, which is like, if you want to treat it like a hobby, you'll get, it'll get, it'll pay like a hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe that. And I, yeah, I, I have it a very, I have a very addictive personality and that's usually not a very good thing to say, <laughs> but like when it comes to doing things, I, I get like I dive into it. I want to start my own lawn care business. Like that's true. I do. But when I, I'm not doing it right now because I don't know how much time I have to commit to it because once I commit, I'm in it. Um, and when I picked landscaping, I was in it and I was, I become obsessed with things. Um, and it's part of my ADD. Like I just, I just focus on like, there's like two aspects of ADD, right? Like one, you can't focus on anything. And the other one is like, you focus super intensely on something so hard that like everything else is blocked out and both are somewhat unhealthy, but, um, yeah, but it's how you get things done. It's yeah, true. Um, like I, I'm the same <laughs> way when it comes to like, I'll just, when I find something and I decide that I'm serious about it, everything else just goes out the window. Like literally everything else in my life. And I'm like, and, yeah. I'm doing this until I have to sleep. Um, and I will do it until I sleep most likely. And yeah, it is a double-edged sword though, because like you focus really hard on that, but then like when you should be focusing on other things, all you can think about is the other thing. Oh um, yeah. 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 I, I, I think anybody listening, I would hope that they know that you're going to neglect some other parts of your life. If you want to, you know, that's, I can just keep repeating it the same way, but you know, if you, if you want, how else can you say it? Right. If you want to be exceptional, you have to do exceptional things. Mm-hmm. I need to slow down how fast I talk. I was just thinking about this is ADD, but I feel like if anybody listens to this podcast on like 1.5 speed, they're not going to be able to understand anything I'm saying. Oh, that's a true life hack, right? The people who are like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to get more time back in my life by listening to things faster. <laughs> and then I'm over here talking like a million miles a minute. And they're just like, I can't keep up. <laughs> No, I do. I need to slow down. Um, but uh, what else did I have on here? I have a lot. I have um, this was a re- this was one that really got us in the, on the radar too, and it was following relevant podcasts and YouTube channels. Oh. So 
uh, I think before I was published in any of those magazines, uh, I was on a podcast, uh, a local lawn care podcast, and they were only like 12 episodes in. I got on episode number 13. So I was able to listen to basically every episode up until, you know, the newest one. You went in person to like the the place of recording. Yeah, because so this was a unique this is a unique situation and, and in part in part of business is just luck, honestly. And this was um I actually lived close to this guy who had this podcast and I had no idea. This was in Kansas City. And so I was like, dude, let's meet up and just have a podcast recording in person. And he just recorded it on his iPhone. Like just put the iPhone down in the middle and then like we just recorded. Um and I got to talk about some like free ways to, it's been so long since I've listened to it. It's on our website, uh, the Evergrow website, but, um, and he was actually our first client after Cody and I partnered up. Uh-huh. Um, and he was on that awful, awful rainmaker package that we, that we take a dump on all the time. And he, his website was the first website we built when we realized we had to build websites. Uh-huh. So it was also awful, not a great representation of our business, um, and now has a website built through our competitor, which looks great, by the way. <laughs> like it really does. Uh, I can't knock them. I I think I think we kind of damaged that rip, that relationship a little bit, um, but uh, it's okay. We learned from our mistakes, and um, we have created a lot better products and processes that are you know blowing results out of the water. So and life is big everybody's the villain in somebody else's story that's unavoidable so i i actually i just talked to a prospect um from the that's that's in uh kansas or he's in missouri he's not in the kansas city area he's in missouri but um he said uh that he actually heard us on that podcast this was like a week ago what yeah so i'm like you heard us on a podcast on an episode that aired five years ago on a client we no longer work with and you called us things have staying power it's cool but we've been <laughs> recently looking into uh, domain acquisitions, like expired domain acquisitions, specifically for the benefit of uh, backlink portfolios. So we can play around and test what what those things would be worth to us. So that's fun. Um, that's Do you want to want to talk about the one? Want to talk about the one we just bought? No, I don't. No, it's weird. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> can we talk about how much we paid for it? Mm, later later all right later later you want to we want to keep things under wraps yeah um so um on the on the podcast thing so we've been on a we've been on quite a bit of podcasts we've been on um what uh i'll just uh, i'll just say them because if you google them you can find them um yeah uh, lawn care leaders lawn so long i'll do it in order so lawn care leaders are our first one mm. that was with Britt dowd um uh and then we were on um million dollar landscaper we've been on them like five times hmm. now but that's our industry contact we mentioned before uh, scott, scott molchan he is yeah he's, he's got yeah he's got his own like course he's got a million dollar landscaping company his whole like moniker is the million dollar landscaper so obviously but um he has us on his podcast quite a bit uh which is really good from a lead flow perspective we've been on um laura reale's landscape marketing secrets podcast uh once um we've been on uh andrew martinez's lone star lawn talk podcast and i think that's all so far um we were on um we just chris i just reached out yesterday to get published in a uh 
Australian landscaping magazine. Yeah. Where we basically hit, we've been published everywhere over here. So figure we'll try to give it a shot and see if we can get elsewhere. Not, not in synced magazine. Ah, uh, they're new, right? So yeah, they're we'll new. have to reach out to them too. But, mm-hmm. um, so, and that's one thing about being the industry, the industry, industry experts is like, we know those podcasts, we know the new magazines coming up. We know, um, all of this because we're, we're doubling down on the niche and it's really paid off. And if you don't do that, if you keep niche shopping every year, you're never going to find success. Well, I mean, you might get lucky, you know, but yeah, every year that's, that's just not enough time. I'm, I'm seeing people niche shop every month on, in Facebook groups. What do you, what do you even do in a month? Like, what can you get done? I think you get like think, one thing done, one big thing done. And I'm like, I think they reach out, they try to find clients, they jump to the client acquisition point and they, they don't find clients in a month. So then they try a different niche and they're just I, like, that's honestly what it looks like to me. And, and in fact, one person in um, the digital agency or the marketing agency owners group, I saw her in a landscaping group that I am an admin of post about uh i don't think she was she think she just posted about like what you know what common problems do you guys see in this you know in in client acquisition and i just commented and said fancy seeing you here because <laughs> she asked me for she asked advice all the time in the marketing agency owners group and i usually comment but um i it was weird for me because i'm like were you just looking at roofers like last month like iron landscaping and maybe she's maybe she's testing the waters which is totally cool but if you're would it just be better you know to go through an aggregator like a marketplace such as upwork or fiverr do you think if, if that's we've talked to about find it, your first but yeah i mean yes and no between, yes if, if you're going to hop every month would you just be better off going over there yeah but you also need to know how to actually get work from those aggregators because that's a big industry issue that a lot of newcomers are facing which is they they i mean when i first started evergrow i was on um upwork and i didn't get any i didn't land any clients i submitted bid after bid after bid and like never got anything do these um, their own sites are they writing too like do they have their own blogs because to me i don't think so yeah, that should be that should be one-on-one you should be you should be writing and you should have your own site and you should be writing your own blog post because it's a very established authority yeah yeah like yeah just get out there and start writing start you know have your own website get we have it on our i mean this is i think um a lot of success for me and like writing on the evergrow website and then also writing for publications that came a lot from gary v's book crush it and um just the kind of that mentality but that's kind of how i started getting clients i get I get dumped on quite a bit because um, we don't have an outreach style. Like we don't we don't do any cold calling, cold email messaging, or, or anything. Everything is inbound. And when I tell people, it took me six months to get my first client. They lasted two months, and then it took me another ten months to get my next client. They almost kind of like look down on me, and they're all like, "You could have been cold calling and growing your agency way faster than that." I'm like, "Aren't these guys smaller than um, me?" Maybe. Well, they don't Solid. say they are. They say they're bigger than me, but their numbers don't quite add up oh. from a business owner's perspective. So, um, those are weird conversations. They, they, yeah, I said Cody. So that's like, what do they say again? What? Well, how do they word it? Uh, like what they say to me? Like, did they ask you? Like, like well, what? How did it? How does this happen? I know nothing. I think every. Hopefully, by now, every listener knows that I, I live in my own world about- where I just don't know how this stuff works. 
Yeah, you're talking about how they ask me like how I didn't get clients by cold calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that come about? Yeah, they they usually say like you should like you if you cold called you would have you know you could grow you could get customers a lot faster. And I usually say like sure maybe, but they also might not be the, my right customers. And then if you have an argument against that, then my main point that I say is um, I have a philosophy against it. Because if I'm offering SEO and Google ad services to my clients in order to get them clients, then that's the what I'm going to do to get mine. And if I am cold calling, then that is hypocritical because I'm basically saying I don't rely. I can't trust my own services to provide me leads. Therefore, why should you? This is funny because if you actually talk to business owners and you you have an inner relationship with them, they'll tell you. They're like, ah, yeah, I get calls about that every day. I'm in Japan, right? I just had that conversation yesterday. No joke. Like, I had an interpreter, but he was like, tell you what? It's a global issue. Yeah, like, they call me, like, three times, four times a day, so. You tell them we don't call anybody? (laughs) Uh, I did, yeah. (laughs) Wait, you're, Jenny's dad, Jenny's dad, was his mind was, we talked about this in another episode, but he said, you said his mind was blown when you're like, we don't reach out. Oh, yeah, we were on a, we were going, we were on a walk and there was a yard sign or something. And I think it was, Jenny was just joking around. She said like, are they, is, you know, are they your client? I said, nah, no, they're not. She's like, why not? And I said, nah, they haven't reached out to us yet. So <laughs> they told her dad and her dad was like, what? what? Like you wait for them to reach out to you? Yeah. That, that business model or that mindset of, wow, you just, cause it's not that you're doing nothing. There's a whole bunch of work that goes into setting that up to be the person that they reach out to when it comes time to search for somebody. How much work you ask? A year and a half of work. Yeah, 100%. So I like, it's kind of like why, like, I'm not a big Alex Ramazzi fan. He was like, he was like big up and I don't hate him. Like, I don't, it was that? I don't think like Alex Ramazzi sounds. Yeah. Like, he's like, he's, uh, he's like a new guru. I think he's like a newer, like Ty Lopez, except, except before I offend anybody listening to this. I think he's better than Ty Lopez because the advice that he actually gives is pretty decent. But what I don't like about him is that he's selling a dream that's not necessarily... It's kind of like... Um, who's this guy here? This guy that wrote... Uh, uh, Timothy Ferris, who wrote The 4-Hour Workweek. Oh, Ferris, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're selling, you're selling a dream that's like... You're making it way easier than, than it is. <laughs> you're making it seem way easier than it is. And like, I don't... I don't really get behind that. But then he also says things like, I've got nothing to sell you and like this. It's like, well, I mean... That's a good sales strategy that I use too, but you know, you, um, you kind of do, um, have something to sell me. And then at the same time, uh, he also hangs out with like Dean, I think he hangs out with like Dean Graziosi or Graziosi and then like Who's Billy that? Jean and so- other. Uh, Je- I know that one. I know that one. Billy okay. Jean. I don't like Billy Jean at all. Like I am very honest about that. And it's in a lot. So you should watch the, not you, maybe the listener watch the Coffeezilla Billy Jean, um, debate and it all stemmed from by coffeezilla saying that billy jean's marketing is cringy which it is but it's good like it attracts people and billy jean got so offended by that and was absolutely ridiculous on this debate that he was with with coffeezilla and um made himself look so bad do you think these people are real though when they do that or do you think that they're just doing it for the views and for the attention based on the based on the um the debate that he had with coffeezilla i would say billy jean is legitimately authentically uh in a hole like <laughs> like but the thing with billy jean is he's, he is a good marketer like i can't you can't argue with that 
So, um, but I, but it's one of the reasons why I don't like Billy Jean. He also has like, he also does the sell the dream thing. And I just, I, I have such a strong stance against MLMs. Not that he has one or is one or whatever, but they do the same thing. So anybody who does the same thing by default in my mind is just not okay. Yeah. I just have a hard time believing that those people are real. And I, if they are, I just don't want to. <laughs> It, you know, well, some what do you of the mean, real, like, you on YouTube about, I just, I don't know, the shocking behavior and that sort of thing. I like to think that it's all just done for views and that none of it's truly how they think or believe. And if it is, then I just, I don't want to know. I don't want to live that life. Let me keep living this way. Because I really, if you go on Reddit, what? If you go on Reddit, if you go on Reddit and look at some like uh, people who work for corporate uh, companies that hired Billy Jean's agency, there's a lot of horror stories on there. But hmm. um, yeah, I just, there are certain guys like Alex Hermazi, like I, I, I can't find anything on him that like is overly negative. And it, it just, he has a lot of the same messaging that these other gurus have. And I, so I just kind of naturally avoid it. I Googled it, but it just auto connects to Ramadi, which is a Jap. I think it's because I'm in Japan. Uh, uh, Ramadi is like English, Japanese thing. Anyway. Oh, mm, cool. Mm. Cool stuff. Um, yeah. Well, let's see what else. If I, I ever here. meet these um, people, I think they're going to be really dis. I see this is this is the thing. If this podcast ever gets really big and crazy, I'm just going to feel very weird the whole time because I I'm very I, every time that Jake shares our our viewership and that sort of thing, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I don't know. Like, I hope I'm doing whatever it is that they want us to do, and I've been like, because I I'm not. I, well, how did I describe? I described it the other day. I said. This is weird because usually I'm not personality. I'm not a personality, but you've really like owned pretty much all of this. And then in this case, I kind of am a personality and that's very weird because I never wanted to to do that. Um, and I'm not going to change either. So that's the other thing. You're, really you're like, I'm a personality the way that Alex Trebek was a personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, if that it's just not going to change. So. I don't know how to do it. I also Googled Billy Jean, but it was just Michael Jackson that came up, of course. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that song, though. Yeah. That's a fantastic song. One classic. Um, and we had one more thing, really. And that was uh, being, you know, uh, being relevant uh, in Facebook groups and also learning, um, learning, I don't know why I said being relevant in Facebook groups. I, I read the wrong note. Um, my one more thing was um, knowing that your prices are going to match the profit of your uh, potential clients in this industry. So if if you're just kind of randomly chart or charging a price, but then um, it, you know the pricing model doesn't work out, then uh, you shouldn't do that. And you should you can know this by knowing like average pro- average profit margins and close rates and things like this. But this is honestly a topic for another episode because I can go really into it. Um, I just had someone reach out to me and that, and, and tell me like, this is what their pricing was. And they were in the junk removal niche. And I said, okay, cool. So based on the average profit margin and the average close rate and the average lifetime value of that client, um, which we did kind of exercise with, I'm like, are you comfortable with providing 180 some junk removal leads in a month? And he goes, no, I'm like, okay, well then your prices are too high mm-hmm. because that's what people are going. That's what your clients are going to expect in order for them to be profitable. Um, and I, I think that's a that's a good episode on its own. I just we're at you know fifty five minutes. I don't want to yeah, keep going. We've been heavy in the the business lately. Well, we did it. We started getting heavier about it too because we were less about business. So we're trying to 
that's kind of, it's like, eh, it's hurt my head a little bit. But I think next time we should do the books. I think that'd be fun. The books one. All right. It's got to, it, usually we riff these. So we've got to actually sit down and be like, what books have you read before? I mean, when, even with some of our um, employees, like we send them books and uh-huh. we just say, read these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could do that for sure. There's some that I, especially, I don't know about as much business management is more just good marketing. Not the st- the, the good marketing you can still read in books and it hasn't changed that much. And just getting those principles down, I think is more important than not more important. It's equally important to what you read online. So we could talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm going to go to the con. Right. Now. The what? The con beanie. Oh, the con beanie. <laughs> <laughs> full, bring you back full circle. <laughs> yeah. um, we went out to eat yesterday cause Lauren had a bad day at work. So, um, I have leftovers. What do you got? What is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I built my own burger, so I, I got a, I always get gluten-free buns just in case Lauren wants to try some of it. Uh, so it's on a gluten-free bun, um, just a, an Angus beef patty mm. with feta cheese, jalapenos, uh, garlic aioli, and um, a cheesy uh, cheesy jalapeno dip. Cool. And then she also has some leftover uh, pasta. I don't know. I don't remember what it is, but um, it's obviously gluten free. But uh, but yeah, that's what I have. That's detailed. I wouldn't have known all that. I just said I got a burger, and then well, it was build your own burger, so I handpicked all the ingredients. Oh, so that's why I know everything. All right, all right, okay, <laughs> it's making sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't memorize. I didn't see it on the menu and just memorize the menu item. <laughs> Caramelized. This, this is important. Seared to perfection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in yet again to another Everbros podcast episode. Uh, We'll catch you next time. See you.